As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you merge the regulation as one of your power in terms of merging in the aquaculture industry? This is one of the topics we'll be discussing today. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode, I'm grateful to have Carol Ingle. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so delighted that you have time today. But anyway, for the sake of our audience, I'll give a little bit of a background of who you are because it's such an interesting platform that you're here on the podcast today. Dr. Carl Engel has worked for more than 40 years in the research, extension, and teaching of aquaculture. Dr. Engel is the immediate past executive editor and current section editor of the Journal of the World Aquaculture Society. She has served as director of the World Aquaculture Society and past president of the the United States Aquaculture Society. Dr. Engel is also the immediate past editor-in-chief of the scientific journal, Aquaculture Economics and Management, and immediate past president of the International Association of Aquaculture Economics and Management. Welcome again to the show, Dr. Carol. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Looking forward to it. I'm really excited about this interview because we were just talking before we were doing the recording, and you mentioned about measuring the cost of regulations in the aquaculture industry. So maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of a background in terms of how you ended up getting into that. <laughs> yes, it's sort of a long story, but I'll try to keep uh, or provide a, a shorter version of, of the story. For years at aquaculture meetings in the United States, I've heard U.S. fish farmers talk about regulations as their largest problem for facing their industry. I heard it for many years. And, and in fact, the first time I heard it, I was fairly skeptical about it. I don't like doing my taxes and nobody likes doing that kind of paperwork. And so I was sort of skeptical. But the more I worked with farmers in the United States, particularly in Arkansas, where I spent 27 years and got to know them and their businesses, I began to see just how big an impact it was having on their farms. At one meeting, the bait fish farmers in Arkansas asked me if I would try to measure the regulatory costs. At first, I really hesitated because I wasn't sure how to do it. I went back and tried to do a literature review, could not find many detailed studies doing this at the farm level. One of the problems, of course, is when farmers maintain their financial records, 
whether it's QuickBooks or some other software, there's no line item category for regulatory costs. And so how in the world do you tease out these effects that really happen across the entire farm in so many different ways? The only way that I could think of to do it was to interview people very intensively. And that's what we ended up doing. I went back to the Arkansas Baitfish Group and said, I think it's possible to do this, but this is what it's going to take. It's going to take a high response rate and participation by farmers. So the data are valid and robust. And it's going to be a long interview. And we're going to need confidential business information to do it. I'll pledge total confidentiality, but it's going to be onerous and it's going to be intrusive. They agreed to support it, asked me to do it, and we launched the first one. I recruited a PhD student, Jonathan Van Senten, who's now at Virginia Tech at the Seafood Eric. He did that for his dissertation, and he and I have been partners on this journey throughout. Along the way, we have our team looking at regulatory costs has grown, and it includes Dr. Ganesh Kumar at Mississippi State, who had a PhD student, Shraddha Hegde, who's recently graduated, but she's estimated and measured the costs of regulations on catfish farms. But we've also recently published a paper with our cooperators out of Florida on the regulatory costs in Florida tropical fish. Jonathan, after he moved to Virginia, we were able to find the funding really at the request of fish farmers again to do a national survey of the trout industry. We surveyed the Pacific shellfish industry for regulatory costs, completed those studies. And then other sectors came forward and asked for us to look at their sectors as well. And several years ago, USDA NIFA funded us to do five additional surveys that include shellfish on the East Coast, tilapia in the United States, the catfish one that I've already mentioned, Florida tropicals that I've mentioned, and hybrid striped bass. And once that project was funded, I had a phone call about why we did not include redfish. And I thought, here we go again. Uh, Five surveys is a lot for one project as it is, and these are not easy to do. And we just decided to go on and do it. And we have completed the redfish survey. So we're still working up some of those data and getting those submitted, hopefully for publication. So it's been quite an interesting journey. But at this point, we have data that covers nearly three-fourths, nearly 74, 5% of all of the U.S. aquaculture production. I do want to point out that we've done this the old-fashioned way. We've not tried to take a sample. We went after a census and made an effort to talk to every farmer in each of these sectors. People don't do this much anymore. It's not easy to do. A lot of these were in-person So Jonathan spent a lot of time traveling and other students now that have been involved spent a lot of time traveling and on the phone with with individuals to be able to do this. I will say that we've had very high coverage rates in terms of the percent of the total production that's included in our data sets. And for some of these sectors, very high response rates. 70, 80% of all the farmers in some of these sectors did participate in spite of how long these interviews were and how challenging they were. I think that in and of itself speaks to how big a problem this is. So maybe I'll stop. I could go on for a long time. This has been a lot of the last six, seven years of my life has been involved in these studies. (laughs) It's been very, very fascinating how you're able to gather all that data and 
what's more fascinating is the level of engagement that you got mm-hmm. because it's just such an important part of the aquaculture industry to be able to measure all these numbers so that it can have an impact of what we're trying to do of i guess making the aqua industry a more in a way knowledgeable of what's happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes it's not mm-hmm. just the production but merely what's behind the scenes with all of the licenses that's needed regulations of course and then a framework that's needed to be met by the farmers not alone mm-hmm. deal with their business <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly so my next question is i know you published five books aquaculture businesses economics and financing and a marketing handbook so maybe with all that knowledge behind you what are you seeing as future trends in the aquaculture industry in terms of these studies in terms of the regulatory cost studies yeah or just in general maybe both (laughs) Mm -hmm. sure well what we see from the u.s perspective is that it is highly regulated it does make u.s producers less competitive these costs the regulatory costs are quite high and what we found out is that the cost of regulations is one of the the major costs for most of these sectors even the catfish sector where we did not expect to see as high a cost, I believe that was 8% of total costs, still makes it one of the top four or five costs that farmers are facing. And so the regulations do drive industries in a country like the United States, because these are also what we call fixed costs, which means you've got to comply with the regulations or you're out of business. And so you have to comply, even if you have a really bad year and you lose all of your fish, So it's a fixed cost. And the higher the fixed cost, that drives economies of scale. And so what we see is I think we're losing our smaller scale farmers in the U.S. And I see that a lot of that has to do with the regulatory environment, not all of it, but the regulatory environment does contribute to that. So we see those sorts of trends. I think it's a real shame because we've had profitable small scale farms for a long time in the in the United States. So that's pushing part of it. The other hand, what we've seen, depending what time frame you're looking at, but over the last several decades, you know, clearly international trade has increased in aquaculture. So there's a great deal of competition, especially for a very large seafood market like the United States. So many producers in many countries target the United States. Some of those countries do not have the same degree of regulatory stringency as we have in the United States that allows them to put the product here at a lower price. And so there are those kinds of issues facing farmers in the U.S. as well as I'm sure Canada and probably the EU as well. There are some studies out of the EU. So those are are some of the other trends that we're seeing. And in the marketplace, consumer preferences are changing to some degree. They're changing for more fillets away from, you know, whole fish, whole dressed fish as they were 30, 40 years ago. There's a lot more variety to choose from. There are a lot of issues with that, too. As you might imagine, in the U.S., there's quite a bit of seafood fraud. So when somebody goes to a restaurant, they might think they're eating grouper when, in fact, it's a Pangasius catfish from Vietnam. And It's not the fault of the farmers in Vietnam, but it is the fault of the people who are putting it on a plate and calling it something that it's not on the menu. 
And so there is fraud. And so that's an issue that makes it difficult for local farmers to compete as well in that kind of that kind of environment. So those are some of the sort of broader trends. Of course, right now, immediately, the problem globally is inflation. So it's going to be extremely difficult in in the coming years. There's a lot of discussion in the United States now about whether the U.S. is, in fact, beginning to slide into a recession or not. But many economists believe that there's a recession in our future. How severe or, or how mild it is remains to be seen. But it's a big concern right now of these kinds of effects because in a market like the United States, our seafood consumers in the United States substitute readily among different seafood species and among other food items. We're not while we're a big market for seafood in terms of total sales per capita, we're not. And so people readily move away from seafood as prices go up too high or as their incomes go down. And so recessions are not good for seafood in the United States for seafood sales. And of course, what we see immediately are the price increases across the board for feed and labor and everything else right now, fuel and and all kinds of costs are going up. So there are a lot of challenges right now for fish farmers around the world. This is happening all across the world because our globe and our world is so interconnected these days. Wow. Those are really eye-opening, especially when you, I guess, have it in a context of how fish farmers work really hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing this in a trend where in it's very much still a hunter-gatherer society when our society have already moved into this technology, where e- granting that the cryptocurrency are going down right now. A lot of the technology industries are thriving, but the small farmers who are mm-hmm. actually in charge of our food are the ones going to be collateral damage because of these trends on the dwindling side of things. But I'd like to have one last question because Mm -hmm. I don't want to use any more of your time. Where do you think you're seeing the seafood industry in terms of sustainability? There's no question that I think the whole world understands we need to be more sustainable. And I think there's no question about it. It's almost a given that all food production, all manufacturing, we have to take better care and better concern over being sustainable in everything we do. To me, aquaculture in my generation was a sustainable way to raise food. I'm part of that generation that saw aquaculture as a solution to environmental problems. If you think about The millennia old Chinese polyculture is what we called it, but the polyculture system, what better way where you produce all these different species of fish and that feed at different trophic levels all on the same pond. The pond was a static pond. There was not flow through flow through water. There was no discharge from it. You you think about how sustainable that model was. That's millennia, millennia old. And so to me, aquaculture is a highly sustainable practice in many respects. And I I know there have been issues and problems in some parts of the world, and there are always a few companies here and there that don't pay attention. But over time, they figured out how to do it more and more sustainably. Again, I'll speak more from the U.S. perspective. If you look at, you just take a simple measure of Seafood Watch and their, their best choices, 
and you look at the percent of those species that are best choices, you know, I think it's nearly half of those species are all farmed these days and farmed U.S. production. All of U.S. farm production is rated as a, as a best choice in terms of sustainability. And we have the laws and enforcement in the United States and our studies on regulatory costs are by no means suggesting we get rid of those laws. The problem with that is not the laws. As farmers told us over and over again throughout these studies, it's how they're being implemented that's causing these high costs. It's not the laws themselves. And so in the United States, and this is likely true in Canada and the EU, aquaculture is produced in a highly sustainable way. And yet we need to do better. What I see is farmers are motivated by things that improve efficiency because that reduces their costs. Along with my collaborators, Ganesh Kumar and Jonathan Van Santen, we published a paper a year or two ago that actually measured with farm level data, resource use efficiency across US aquaculture. We looked at how these have evolved over time of how many pounds of fish you're getting per gallon of water and per gigajoule of energy and, and all these kinds of metrics. And the trend towards intensification Part of that is driven by driving costs down to be as competitive as possible. But when you think about that, it's also increasing sustainability because we're getting more food to eat per unit of key resources like water and energy and things like that. So I see the trend is greater and greater sustainability, even though I will argue that it's already a highly sustainable way to produce food for us. And we're not even talking about the interest in seaweed and shellfish that you know, or helping to clean the environment, conservation, aquaculture, and other sorts of things. So aquaculture really fits the needs of this world better than most other food production, in my view. But then again, I've been a fan and of aquaculture for my entire career, and I've never lost my passion for it. But I was attracted to it because I saw it as, as a highly sustainable kind of a way to produce wonderful, healthy food for us all, is what drew me to aquaculture in the beginning. Thank you very much, Dr. Ingle. You know, the biggest takeaway I had from our conversation was when you mentioned about it's not about the loss. I think that has been mm -hmm. interpretation with people, but it's the way of how it's being implemented. I remember in our own company, for example, there are laws that has been obsolete because it's been based from an industry that was from years and years ago that's no longer applicable. So thank you very much for stressing that, that it's how it's being implemented. Thank you again for being on the show. How can our audience get in touch with you? The best way probably is my email. It's C-E-N-G-L-E 8523 at gmail.com would be the best way. Thank you again, Dr. Carroll. To our subscribers, do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Dr. Carol. Bye for now. Right. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. 
I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture. <music>